0: With me, if you will, to Genesis chapter thirty-two. I hope you're enjoying uh, reading with us through the Bible in a hundred days. We have hundreds of people participating in that, and I have heard almost every single day since the beginning of the year a story from somebody or from some couple how that has impacted their lives. There is nothing like uh, investing yourself in God's Word; that always pays a dividend, and it's exciting to hear the stories. And so this last week, if you read with us, uh, we read of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so if you know anything about the Bible or history really, ancient history, you know the names Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so we read some of their story. Uh, Mostly took place in what we would call today Israel. It was not, of course, Israel in that day, uh, but the story of Abraham and then his son Isaac and then his son um, Jacob and how the promises of God uh, given to Abraham were passed down from Isaac to Jacob and we'll see how that plays out in the days to come. Uh, this next week, we'll be reading of the story of Joseph. Uh, now, not, this is not the New Testament Joseph. This is the Old Testament Joseph. And we're going to read about Joseph, the son of Jacob, and his time in Egypt. And so the, the family really starts there, and what will eventually become Israel. Uh, Because of a shortage of food, Jacob is going to move his family to Egypt. So Joseph, one of his 12 sons, grows up there in Egypt. This is one of the most fascinating stories in the Bible. Joseph is one of my favorite Bible heroes to study. And so all this next week, we'll focus on Joseph. And then the next week, we'll be back, moving back toward the promised land. And so God had promised this week to Abraham that he would make of him a great nation and they would come back and live in this land. He promised this land to them. And so it's called the promised land. They're gonna spend 400 years in Egypt, but they're gonna be looking forward to coming back. And that'll be two weeks from now, we'll read of their journey uh, back to the promised land. Now, with that in mind, let me give you a little advertisement. We are going to go to the promised land in June. And so, if you would like to go with us in June, uh, go to this website, slash uh, Israel. You can get some information there. We're going to go from June 18th to 27th. Uh, if you're interested, you can sign up, of course, on the website, and all the information is there. Uh, But reach out to us here at the church. I would love to have the opportunity just to give you a call or to come see you and share with you, give you really a personal invitation to join us uh, for this special trip this summer as we two head to the promised land. Now, the most interesting uh, account that we read, that we have read this past week, I think comes from right at the end of Genesis chapter 32. In fact, some have said this is the most interesting story in all of the Old Testament. It certainly is unusual and without precedent. And I want us to look at it together uh, this morning. So Genesis chapter 32, let's just read one verse to begin. It says, Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. So this is the story we read on Friday. And uh, Jacob is alone, and he ends up in a wrestling match that lasts all night long. We find out at the end of the wrestling match that he is wrestling none other than God. What an unusual event. Uh, well, let's talk about that this morning. Uh, wh- wh- what is going on here? Wh- what can we know about, about this strange story? Well, we should know, first of all, a little bit about Jacob's background. Now, Jacob, as we said, is the son of Isaac, and Jacob was one of two sons His twin brother Esau was born just moments before Jacob was born. In fact, when Jacob was born, he was born so quickly behind Esau that the story says that he was grabbing the heel of Esau as he was as he was born. And so these two twin boys, they were fighting from the very earliest days, from the very moment of birth, they were fighting, and this fight will continue the rest of their lives, or at least until Genesis chapter 32. And and they're always at one another. Jacob was named Jacob, as you know, and Jacob meant uh, the root of the word, uh, translated Jacob, meant heel grabber. And so they named him that because he was grabbing the heel of his brother as he was born. Uh, But really how the word was used in their vernacular, uh, it was used to mean a liar or a cheater or a manipulator or a schemer or a deceitful person. And so what an unfortunate name that he was called a manipulator, a supplanter. And that was his name. Now, what was even more unfortunate than his name is that he lived up to his name. And he was a liar and a cheater. He did deceive people around him, tricked people, took advantage of people. He, he, he lived a life that exactly described his character. And we see this in a number of events that happened even when he was young. Uh, one, of the, one of the two things that every young man in that day would have desired uh, was something called a birthright. Every young man wanted the birthright and he wanted the blessing. Now, the birthright was ordinarily given to the firstborn son, and that was not to Jacob. Now, he wasn't born much after the firstborn, but he was born second, and so his brother Esau was going to get the birthright. Now, the birthright meant, among other things, that when your father died, that you received the lion's share of the family's wealth, and so everybody wanted the birthright, Jacob, and we read this story a few months ago in a sermon that we preached, Jacob figured out a way to trick his brother into giving up the birthright. And because Jacob was a manipulator, he manipulated his brother and he stole the birthright. He's a a Jacob. And then a little after that, uh, he stole the blessing. Now the blessing was a word from the father that served really a prophetic purpose in the life of the one to whom it was given. And the father, Isaac, wanted to give this great blessing to his son Esau. Isaac loved Esau and wanted to, in this blessing, make him the leader of the family and the one through whom the promises of God would be fulfilled. And so he had this great blessing that he wanted to pronounce over Esau that would have had a great effect in Esau's life. Well, Jacob wanted that blessing. So Jacob pretended to be Esau. When Esau was out doing something else, Jacob dressed up like Esau. His father was old and couldn't see very well. He tricked his father. He first tricked Esau into leaving the house for a few hours, and then he tricked his father and he stole the blessing. So he, he stole the birthright, he stole the blessing. And when his brother got back and found out what happened, the first thing he said is Jacob has lived up to his name. And he had. The second thing he said is I'm gonna kill my brother. As soon as my dad dies, then Jacob is gonna die the next day. And so Jacob knows this and Jacob decides it's time to leave town. And so he goes to the land where his mother grew up, uh, really to marry uh, a, a woman, uh, the, the daughter of his mother's brother. Uh, now, I know that raises a lot of questions we just don't have time for today. Uh, so he goes to marry the daughter of his, of his uncle, and, uh, and, and really he gets back what he's been giving out all of these years. He gets tricked by his uncle and he ends up marrying the wrong woman. And then he has to go through years and years of all kind of things, and then he, then he marries another woman, and this is the woman he meant to marry the first time. He got tricked by his father-in-law. The, the deceiver got deceived. The manipulator got manipulated. And uh, not just with uh, his wives, but also with his finances and with a business that he and his father-in-law, or his uncle rather, ended up running together. And there's, there's a lot of real interesting things that happen there. And so that goes on for 20 years. And at the end of 20 years, Jacob has had enough and he says, it's time to go back home. It's time to go back where Esau is. Now, he would have said that with a lump in the back of his throat, because the last two things he heard from his brother was, you have lived up to your name, Jacob, and I'm going to kill you. But he knew it was time to go back. Well, at this point, Jacob had uh, a large family, and he had gained some wealth. He had a lot of livestock and servants, and so he, he gets all of that together, and he begins the journey back home. Now, he's scared to death on this journey because he doesn't know the mind of Esau. When I get back, is Esau going to carry out the threat that he made 20 years ago? Uh, is, is all of my deception and my trickery and my dishonesty, is it, is it going to come home to roost, so to speak? Am I going to have to pay the price? And so I want you to see a little bit of this journey back before we get into the wrestling match here. Um, If you look back at verse six, Genesis 32, six, it says, when the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau and he is coming to meet you and he has 400 men with him. So when Jacob begins the journey, he sends some servants ahead to let Esau know I'm coming home to sort of gauge Esau's response. And so the servants go to Esau and say, your brother Jacob is heading this way. And Esau said, oh, he is. Well, you let Jacob know that I'm heading his way and I'm bringing 400 people with me. And so when word gets back to Jacob that Esau is also on the road and he's got all these people with him, he thinks, oh no, we're about to have a battle. And then you look at verse seven, you see that he begins to make some arrangements uh, to save his life and as much of his wealth and family as he could. It says Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed and he divided the people with him into two camps along with the flocks, the herds, the camels. And he thought if Esau comes to one camp and attacks it, the remaining one can escape. Now this is interesting because Jacob is still scheming. And so he knows that Esau is coming. He thinks Esau is coming to kill him. So he says, I'm going to divide everything into two. One wife over here, one wife over there. One sheep over here, one sheep over there. One pile of gold over here, one pile of gold over there. And so he divides everything into two. And his theory is when Esau gets here, he'll attack one and I'll escape with the other one. And you know, so I'll lose one wife and a bunch of animals, but I still have one. And you know, he was just looking out for himself. And then he did one other thing. This just shows his character. Guess which group he went with? Neither one. Because you get down to verse 24 and it says he's all by himself. Now, you you decide what word describes this. You could say smart or cowardly. uh, But he says, I'm going to put half my family over here as a decoy I'm going to put half the family over here as a decoy, and since I don't know which one Esau is going to attack, I'm not going to be with either one. I'm going to let Esau take half, then I'll get with the other half and we will flee. This was all about protecting his own hide, right? He is a deceiver. He is a manipulator. And so he's all by himself. He's got one family over here, one, one half the family over there. He's scared to death. He's waiting for Esau to attack And that's where we are in verse 24. So when it says he was alone, and he has a wrestling match with a man until daybreak, that's the setting. Now in the beginning, he must have thought this was Esau that showed up. That somehow Esau found him, and, and you know it's in the middle of the night, and there are no street lamps or anything. He didn't know who this was. He must have thought it was Esau to start with. But the fight that lasts all night long quickly turns from a physical encounter with Esau, or that's what he thought it was, into really a wrestling match with God over his character and his future and his destiny. And so let's read this interesting account. Genesis 32, 24 we read. Verse 25 says, when the man saw that he could not defeat him, he struck Jacob's hip socket as they wrestled and dislocated his hip. And so they're fighting and they've really fought to a draw, which is really interesting. You're fighting with God. You'd think God would win pretty easily. We'll, we'll see if we can figure that out. Verse 26, then he said to Jacob, let me go for it is daybreak. This is, we'll discover in a moment, God who says, okay, Jacob, we're, we're finished. Uh, let me go. It's daybreak. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So Jacob said, no, no, sir. I'm I'm not letting you go uh, until I get a blessing. Verse 27, a very important verse. Uh, The man, uh, God, says, what is your name? Jacob, he replied. In verse 28, your name will no longer be Jacob, he said. It will be Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. And then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he answered, why do you ask my name? And he blessed him there. Jacob then named the place Peniel and said, for I have seen the face, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. And the sun shone on him as he passed by Peniel, limping because of his hip. And so that's this interesting story, a wrestling match with God. Now, that immediately raises some questions that we need to deal with. Number one, did this really happen? Did he really wrestle with God somehow in the flesh? Or is this just an allegory? Is this just a a, a picture of some greater truth and it's just a a fable that that, that they would tell their children? No, no. Uh, The Bible says it happened. And we just need to believe the Bible. The Bible is true. And when the Bible says something, then that settles it. This was a real fight. It was a real fight with God, a physical fight. People being thrown on the ground. People aching and hurting. and, And it was a struggle. Now, that raises some questions, obviously, that we don't know the answers to. Does God give us all the information we need to answer every question that we could ask about this story? No. No. God does not give us all of the information, but God gives us the information he wants us to have. So there are a couple of things we learn from that. First of all, we must be careful that we don't go beyond the information that God has given. Sometimes when people study, or even sometimes when people preach these Old Testament stories, they go way beyond what the text says. We must not do that. You know, we had a, a section a few well, the previous week that we read, or maybe it was in the few verses before our assigned reading, but a lot of people read it anyway, uh, that, that, uh, that seems to say that some angels procreated with some women, and that's unusual, and what does that mean? And so what some people have done through, through history, you can buy books about this, whole books have been written by this about this. They have filled in a lot of details that aren't in scripture. We must be careful not to do that. There are all kinds of things about this story. I don't know, but we will limit our teaching to what the text actually says. And so that's just an important Bible study lesson to learn here. But the other thing is this, God has given us this on purpose. And so there's something here for us to learn. There are all kinds of things that happen that God does not record in the pages of scripture. He gave this to us. He gave us the details he gave us. And so they are important to us and we should know uh, what they say and what they mean uh, to us. And so let's look at this, look at this very closely. We see that Jacob is scared to death. Uh, He knew that he was perhaps about to face uh, the music for uh, his character and for his decisions and for his deceit. And so Jacob is in a fight for his life. As we said, he must have assumed that it was Esau in the beginning, but it quickly became much more than a physical struggle and became about his identity and his his hopes. And so Jacob surrendered. The Bible says that God pulled his hip out of socket. I can imagine that would be very painful. But it still, that raises a question. If you're fighting with God, how in the world could you... Come away only with a sore hip uh, if you're fighting with God. I mean, it almost seems like they wrestled to a draw. Why didn't God just crush him? This is the creator of the universe. This is the one who flung the stars into space. Could he not wrestle a puny man, Jacob? Why didn't God just crush him? Well, for the same reason God doesn't crush us. Because God's trying to teach Jacob something. God's trying to help Jacob understand the truth. Why doesn't God just crush us? When we rebel, when we sin, when when we break promises, when when we're not uh, showing thankfulness and gratitude to God, when when we're not living the way God has told us to live, when we're not giving 100% of our heart for the worship of God, why doesn't God just crush us? Because God is trying to teach us something. You find yourself committing some sin over and over and over, and you've confessed it and confessed it and you've promised and you've promised and you've promised. That's sort of like wrestling with God, really? And, and, and have you ever wondered, I've wondered this before, why doesn't God just crush me? Well, it's not because he couldn't, but it's because God is trying to teach me something. And the reason why Jacob wasn't crushed in this wrestling match is not because God could not, but, but God would not. Uh, Because he was teaching him something. And then God asks that question, Jacob, what is your name? And that really becomes the focal point of of the whole historical account. And Jacob says, Jacob, God changes it to Israel. We'll see what that means in a moment. And then Jacob really experienced a revival. What does it mean that Jacob's name changed? This is the third time in the Bible at this point that God changes somebody's name. What does it mean that Jacob's name changed? It means... That Jacob experienced uh, a revival. Jacob experienced a a new path with God. Jacob became a new man. Jacob had a spiritual breakthrough at this moment. and And he stopped being Jacob the deceiver. And he became Israel, a prince of God. How can we have a spiritual breakthrough. That's what, this, that's what this wrestling match is about. How can we have the same kind of spiritual breakthrough? You've been struggling with something for a long time. You're, you're frustrated this morning. You want to have spiritual strength to overcome temptation. You want to know joy instead of misery. You want to have peace instead of depression. How can we have a spiritual breakthrough? Well, the same way that Jacob did by wrestling with God. Now, let, let me go through this story and share with you three things that Jacob did. Three things that you and I need to do. If we're going to have the same kind of spiritual breakthrough that Jacob had three things that we must do. These will be short and simple, but they're important. Number one, if we're going to find a new path with God, if we're going to have a revival, a spiritual breakthrough, we must persist in our struggle with God the first thing you notice about this account is that Jacob never gives up. It says in verse 24 that he wrestled until daybreak. This, this lasted all night long. Verse 26, uh, when God says it's over, Jacob says, no, I will not let go until you give me a blessing. You know, the biggest reason most people never experience a spiritual blessing is because they give up too soon. Because they, they just walk away from God. They just get frustrated and they quit What we need more than anything, listen, if we're gonna have a spiritual breakthrough, is to keep wrestling with God until we find it. Our problem is we give up too quickly. And you see this all through the pages of scripture. And some of the stories are even uncomfortable, but until we learn this lesson that God, the lesson is that God honors our persistence. Listen to some of these stories. There was a time recorded in Matthew chapter 15 when a Canaanite woman came up to Jesus and was asking Jesus to do something. She had a very important request, and Jesus just ignored her. Jesus just just blew her off. And so you know what she did? She continued to ask him, and she pressed him further and further and further. And then Jesus turned to her and said, listen, ma'am, God did not send me to deal with the kind of problem that you have. Leave me alone. You know what she did? She pushed further. And she continued to ask him. And Jesus continued to ignore her. And then she continued to ask him. And then Jesus turns to her and says, you are a woman of great faith. And he granted her request. What's the lesson? God honors our persistence. You know, sometimes the way you know you're serious about something is that you're persistent. You know, when you have little kids, they ask for things all the time. How do you know that they really want it? Because they ask you 714 times a day. And as a parent, you sometimes honor persistence. God honors persistence. Jesus said it's those who hunger and thirst for righteousness that those people will see God. Jesus tells a parable in Luke chapter 18. Uh, about a, a woman who had a need for justice. Somebody had mistreated her. And so she goes to a judge and she begs for justice. And the judge says, no, I won't give you justice. And so she goes home. She comes back the next day. She begs for justice again. He says, no, leave me alone. So she goes home. She comes back the next day. She begs again and again and again and again. And finally the judge says, not because I care about you or what anybody thinks about me, but because you are driving me nuts, I will give you justice. And you think, what kind of parable is that? And Jesus said this, I share this with you so that you will know that God honors those people who cry out to him day and night. Luke chapter 18, verse seven. God honors persistence, persistence. The apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians Chapter 12, he has a problem, and the Bible says he prayed and God didn't answer, and he prayed and God didn't answer, and he prayed. And it wasn't until he persisted that finally God God revealed himself really to him. And and Paul learned something that, that brought him satisfaction in life because God always honors persistence. Some answers, blessings, some revival only is experienced after a long night uh, of wrestling. So do you have a spiritual need? Maybe you desperately need joy. Maybe you're lonely and you desperately need comfort. Maybe you're struggling with temptation and you're just tired of confessing it over and over and over and you need strength. Maybe you need God to touch a relationship. Maybe, well, maybe you need a spiritual blessing Well, listen, God's most valuable blessings come to those who persist, who stay in the battle, who struggle to the end. I think about Jesus, his description of of being close to him, to the Father, of living close to the Father. Jesus in John chapter 15 uses this illustration uh, to, to talk about what it means to live close to the Father. And he says it's It's like a vine and a branch. He says that that Jesus is the vine and we're the branches. And if we're going to bear fruit, we have to remain in him. We have to abide in him. We have to stay connected to him. Now, why why did Jesus use the illustration of a vine and a branch? There would have been more simple illustrations he could have used. He could have said that God is the gift giver And we're the gift receiver and God gives us a gift. It would be a much easier illustration to preach. Why didn't Jesus do it it that way? Well, because when you talk about a vine and a branch, there is implied in that illustration a long period of time, right? I mean, a branch doesn't grow grapes because it's been connected to the vine for a day and a half or a month and a half. It grows grapes because it continues for years to be connected to the vine. God will honor with spiritual fruit in your life if you persist with him, if you don't give up, if you wrestle with him. Every once in a while, you'll hear somebody say, a well-meaning person will say, sometimes preachers, pastors will say, just, just give God a try. Just give God a try. Like, like you know, give him give him three hours, or or give him a weekend, and just give God a try. Well, you never you never see that in Scripture. No, you don't just give God a try. No, God doesn't bless those people who just give him a try. No, God blesses those who persist in Him. That's what uh, that's what Jacob did. He he persisted. He stayed in the struggle. The second thing he did is he honestly declared his weakness, and we must honestly declare our weakness. So he's in the middle of this wrestling match, and God asked the question, what is your name? Now, God didn't ask that question because he didn't know the answer. God asked that question to teach uh, Jacob an important lesson. Jacob would have been thinking about that long before this wrestling match began, For 20 years since he had left, the words of his brother, some of the last words his brother said must have been sort of bouncing around in his heart and his mind. Jacob, you're living up to your name. You're a deceiver, through and through. And Jacob knew it was true. Now Jacob had been asked this same question 20 years prior. 20 years prior, he went into his dad's room Pretending to be Esau. And he was was trying to trick his dad. And his dad couldn't see very well, but his dad thought something seemed fishy. So before his dad gave the blessing, his dad said, What is your name? And that was just, that was the moment. Everything Everything was hanging in the balance. I can imagine Jacob, you know, had swallowed hard. And that time when his dad said, What is your name? Jacob said, My name is Esau. He lied. That's who he was. So now, 20 years later, it's not his earthly father, it's his heavenly father. And his heavenly father says, What is your name? And he says, I'm Jacob. I'm the deceiver. I'm the manipulator. I'm the liar. I'm the cheater. See, so he fessed up to who he was. He, he came clean. He was honest about it. He said, I'm the manipulator. And at that point, this is so important, at that point, for the first time in his life, he was eligible for the blessing of God. I'm sure there had been times, especially in the last 20 years, when things got tough with his Uncle Laban, where, where he said, God, you gotta help me, you gotta help me, you gotta help me. And, and God... it just didn't work out. But now that he's come clean, he's eligible for God's blessing. And this is when God says, okay, you're no longer Jacob. Now you're Israel. He, He changed him. It was a new start. It was a revival. It was whatever word you want to use, a new path with God. What we need to do, if we want to be eligible for the blessing of God, we've got to persist with God, persist in the struggle. But listen, we've got to be honest with God. We've got to quit pretending. We've got to quit making excuses. We've got to quit justifying our sin and blaming it on other people. And we just need to be honest with God. We need to say, God, listen, I'm a liar. God, listen, I'm a cheat. God, listen, I'm a, I'm a fraud. I'm a, I'm a hypocrite. I, I'm an adulterer. I'm a thief. I'm a gossip. I'm a... I'm lazy or I'm irresponsible or I'm an alcoholic. Whatever it is, there comes a time, if we're going to be eligible for the blessing, the touch of God, we've just got to be honest. This was that time for Jacob. And if we're going to experience the blessings of God, there has to be the same kind of wrestling match and the same kind of honesty with us. I think a lot of times we... We're like the person trying to put water in a sealed mason jar. I started to bring a mason jar this morning, and I just forgot. But you can imagine, got a mason jar, you know what that is, and, and uh, you got the top screwed down tight on it, and you're trying to, trying to pour water in it. So you, you take water and you pour it in, pour it on it, it just runs across the, down the sides. It's just as dry as could be on the inside. So you dip it in water. You try all kinds of things. But no water is going to get in the mason jar until you do what? Until you take the top off. And see, some of us, we're like that. And we've been coming to church and we've been praying, God bless me. God, give me peace. God, give me spiritual strength. God, help me get over temptation. God, all these things. And, and it's just like God's pouring his water over our sealed jar and it just doesn't get in. And there's no difference. And we're just sort of going on with God. But if we'll stop and we will, like Jacob, take the top off, then all of a sudden we're eligible for God to fill us with his blessing. You see, if we're going to find a new path with God, we have to honestly declare our weakness to God. And then number three, we have to pursue God as our blessing. It's interesting you get to the end of this encounter and God does not say to Jacob uh, or to Israel, now is his name, uh, all right. I'm gonna solve your problem. I'm gonna make sure that Esau falls in a hole and hits his head and doesn't remember anything that ever happened. Uh, he didn't say, uh, I'm gonna make Esau a nice man and he's not gonna cause a problem. He, he didn't promise him any of those things. The only thing that Jacob gets out of this is more of the presence of God. But see, that's what he needed. Jacob thought his biggest problem was Esau, but really Jacob's biggest problem was that he needed more of God. And he got that. When, when God changed his name, changed his character, when God gave him this blessing, that's what he needed. So many times we think what we need is a new job. What we think we need is to get married. What we think we need is for the cancer to go away. What we think we need is some more money. What we think we need is for so-and-so who's causing us problems to go away. We think that those are the things we need when what we really need is just more of God. Now, this is a hard lesson to learn. It's a very hard lesson to learn because we're so focused on, on these other things that we think are our need, but to experience all that God has for us, we've got we've to change our thinking. I don't really need stuff. I don't really need a fix. What I need is more of God. You see this again throughout scripture. I referred to, to 2 Corinthians 12 a moment ago uh, where the apostle Paul had a need. And he described his need uh, as a thorn in the flesh. We don't know exactly what it was, but it was something terrible. It may have been a physical problem, a health problem. It could have been some adversaries that were driving him crazy. It could have been a sin, weakness, a temptation that he was struggling with. We we don't know. People have speculated. We don't know. But he had this problem. and, And so he thought his problem was his problem. He thought, God, if you just fix this problem, then I'd be fine. So he prayed, God, fix the problem. And God didn't. And he said, again, God fixed the problem. And God didn't. And so he prayed again, God fixed the problem. And God didn't. And then God taught him. The whole reason I gave you the problem is so that you would realize that what you need is not the problem fixed. What you need is to walk closely with me. And, And the apostle Paul, when he finally learned the lesson, he said this, that God said to me, God taught me, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is enough. For my power is perfected. It is brightest in, in your weakness. Paul learned that, that what he needed was not the fix. What he needed was the Lord. See, God could fix your problems right God could give you a husband or a wife or God could give you money or God could give you victory or make you first or or give you success or what that, that would be easy but God's goal and our goal ought not just be that life is easy but that but that we have more of God David King David let's go to the Old Testament he knew the same thing the, the most well-known passage in the Old Testament is what Psalm 23 and so you know Psalm 23 verse 4 David says this Even though I walk through the valley, you know, the rest of it, right? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What what he said is, David says, I know I'm going to go through some valleys. He didn't say, because I know God, there will be no valleys. I'll be on the mountaintop every day of my life. No, he says, there are going to be some valleys and it's going to be dark and it's going to be dangerous and it's going to hurt. But I can go through the valleys because I know that I've got the one thing I need. You are with me. You see, we've got to change our desire from, from wanting the stuff to wanting the giver of the stuff. That's what happened here with, um, with Jacob. Here's how Jeremiah, Prophet Jeremiah, some. I don't know, 900 years later, I suppose, uh, said this Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me. He talks of the Lord. You will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. Uh, God says through Jeremiah, you will find me when you search for me with all your heart, when you make me your goal, not a new job, your goal, not Uh, no, no more uh, financial problems, your goal, not better relationships, your goal, not whatever. But when you, when you pursue me with all your heart, when when you come clean before me, I'm a deceiver, I am a manipulator, then you will find me. So I think the, the most appropriate way to, to conclude our study of this story is to ask you to say a prayer with me. So let's do this. I'm going to guide you through this. Let me ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for a moment. And there are really two parts to this prayer, and I want to ask you to say them aloud. I know audience participation is not your favorite thing, uh, but let's, uh, let's work on this. And so I'll expand the prayer, but I want you to say these two parts aloud. I'll, I'll teach you how to do it. The first part is this. Lord, what I need most in life is you. Lord, what I need most in life is you. Will you say that with me to the Lord? Lord, what I need most in life is you. Father, I need you more than I need anything else. Father, sometimes I just think I need some more stuff. Sometimes I just think I need more health. Sometimes I think I need more this and that. And, and I know that I, I, I gripe and complain. And, and Father, there... Some of those needs are not unrealistic, but I know what I need most in life is you. That's what I long for, to seek you with all of my heart so that I would find you. And the second thing we would pray is this. Lord, the thing that permit I'm sorry, the thing that prevents me from living closer to you is me. Listen to that. The thing that prevents me from living closer to you is me. Would you pray that with me? Lord, the thing that permits me from living closer to you is me. Father, I know that the reason why I don't live closer to you is because of what's in me. And sometimes I justify it and sometimes I blame it on other people. But I'm just going to come honestly before you. My name is Jacob and it's well earned. And I need a touch from heaven. I need forgiveness from what Jesus did based on what Jesus did for me on the cross. I need you, I need you. And then would you pray, we won't do this aloud, but just silently, would you pray the words of David from Psalm 23, four? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Father, even though life's going to be hard and scary at times, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. And with your rod and your staff, you give me comfort. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing and worship the Lord.